Thanks for joining us. This is the Oklahoma Youth Podcast, and we hope that you'll be blessed by today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, share this episode with your friends, and leave a five-star rating and review. For more information on our ministries and events, visit oklahomayouth.org. And now, let's enjoy today's episode together. GPS, no phones. I just had an atlas. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Eight in the back. It was packed out. And what a powerful move of the Holy Ghost. Made an impact on my life. That's where God solidified a few things. And so this is, feels good back here in Oklahoma. We love Brother and Sister Hart. Thank you so much for your leadership and your commitment. Amen. Brother Martin, District Superintendent, the entire District Board, thank you for allowing me to be here. And a wonderful basket, wonderful room, great hospitality. And so thank you to all. And the most important people in the room, not only the chaperones, your mom and dad in the dorms. I guess that's what you call them, dorm dad, dorm mom. But all of you that are here, thank you so much for being here. Amen. Before we begin, I want us to start, and I want us to ask God if we could just to help us and speak to our heart and challenge us. How many would be okay with that? I know we prayed a lot. But could we, if you feel comfortable, would you just reach over and put your hand on the person next to you? If not, don't worry. Just lift your hands upward. But let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your spirit, your touch, your moving. I pray, Lord, that your anointing would just settle upon this place. And it would touch every heart, every life, and every mind. That your perfect will would be done. God, we give you glory. We give you honor. And we give you praise. And that wonderful name that is above all names, the name of Jesus, we ask these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read one passage of Scripture. It's found in Judges, the ninth chapter. And I'm going to read it, and it's going to leave you on this cliffhanger, but that's the way I want it until later. And so you're ready for it? Judges 9 and 54. And here's what this very strange passage of Scripture says. It says, Then he called hastily unto the young man his armor-bearer, And said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that the men say not of me, a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. I'm going to preach with the help of the Holy Ghost for the next little while on this thought. And this is not a chauvinistic message, so ladies, please don't crucify me yet. And guys, don't get so wound up about this, all right? So you start screaming and hollering, please control yourself. But I want to preach this thought, a woman slew him. A woman slew him. You can be seated. I do have a question. My question is simply this. How many have ever been lost? I mean, like, not Walmart parking lot. Can't remember where you put your car, but how many's ever been lost like that? Like, you come out of Walmart and you're like, okay, which, you know what that means? That means that you go to Walmart way too much. That's what that means. Because if you walk out of Walmart and you have your usual spot that you park and you can't park there so you have to park on the other side and you walk out and you're like oh no and i've literally seen people how many's ever done this before that have walked around pushing the lock unlock button on your car so it 
People do that. Like, that's a thing. And then the panic button, you're like, dee, dee, dee. I've watched, I've watched people come out of Walmart, and I'm sitting in my car waiting for my wife because it's always like this. I've got to run in and grab two things, two things. It'll take me approximately five minutes, five minutes. You can literally wait right here by the door. And then the security guard runs me off, so I find a parking spot. And, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And I watch these people come walking out. And you can see it, that sheer panic in their eye. They walk out and they stop. And they're like, oh, no. I don't know. And you know what that is? That's the onset of dementia. <laughs> and I hate to say this, but I'm there. I mean, I am there. It's, it's terrifying me. I, the other day I walked in my house. I'm like, who lives here? And I thought, oh, it's me. This is my house. It's getting bad. But I've been lost. And if you've ever been lost, isn't that the most terrifying thing to be absolutely lost? All right. This is what happened. I was, I was uh, just turned 17 years of age, and I thought I was a man. <laughs> Girls, let me just tell you something. If they're 17, if they're 16, if they're anything less than 21, they have not achieved manhood. <laughs> Their brain hasn't even started to fully develop until they hit 25 years of age. If you're going to look for... A young individual. I'm preaching to some girls right now. And they walk around with their chest pushed out and, and their hair all fixed up just nice. And, and, and they got the right clothes on. And they come to camp and, and they're up at the front worshiping. And they tell you when they take you out to the snack shack, if that's what it's called here in Oklahoma. Listen, I'm a man. I got a job. I got a car. I'm getting ready to buy a house. I can take care of you. You, you always have this in the back of your mind. If they're not 25, their brain is undeveloped. They have not stepped into that threshold where they are called a man quite yet. And then also remember this, that when they do turn 25, some of them, their brain never develops. I mean, if they can't change the brakes on their pickup truck that they drive up in the parking lot, if they've never had grease under their fingernails and if they can't at least build a doghouse, let alone a house, if, if they can't wire up a socket or, or, or fix, change a light bulb or, or, or pull a splinter out of their finger without crying or, or something like that, you, you just need to go on to the next individual that actually is a godly. You know what? If they, if they don't know how to cry at an altar and surrender their will to God's will, and be willing to be vulnerable every now and then and talk about how God is working upon them and changing who they used to be. If they're not willing to give up their horse for a call of God, if they're not willing to say, I'll change my career to pursue ministry, then you haven't stepped into manhood or the ability to see what God has in store for your life. And young ladies, I'm not just talking about the young men, but there needs to be an apostolic young girl that says, I'm willing to give up my dreams and aspirations, not to pursue the things that give me clicks on Instagram or likes on Facebook, but that cause me to get to a place where I can say, God, I've please you with my life then they're not really a woman but getting lost is terrifying because it's vulnerable and so I thought I was a man and so me and my cousin and uh, one of my good friends Greg Crumpacker decided that uh, we were going to do something that only men do and we were going to go out into the wilderness of Alaska to pursue the greatest 
trophy that man could pursue, in my opinion, and that is the Alaska bull moose. I don't know if you've ever seen a moose. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Moose are amazing. They're majestic. They're powerful. They're delicious to eat. They are dangerous, life-threatening, terrifying, and only men pursue this dangerous, formidable beast. And so that's what we thought we were going to do. Now, my good friend Greg, his dad was a pilot, and so he'd been flying over the Swanson River on the Kenai Peninsula and spotted this massive moose. Brother, you know what I'm talking about. You may have even been there. And, uh, and so he spotted this moose, and it had uh, three cows that were with him. And we knew where it was because it's at this massive bend with a very high uh, cliff bank, and we used to swim in that big hole down there where we would canoe the Swanson River with a youth group. And so we, uh, we decided we were going to put all the gear together because we own nothing. Uh, that's, the, that's the problem with being young and broke is you don't have anything, and, uh, but that's a good place to be because we called around the guys in the church and we borrowed all kinds of gear. We borrowed a canoe. Uh, we borrowed pack frames. Uh, I borrowed my dad's 30 out 6 Matt borrowed his dad's 338. Greg found a gun in the back of a closet that he didn't know that he had, and so he may have stole that off somebody. We're not even for sure, but he brought that with him. It was a 270. And uh, so we put all of our gear together, and we have sleeping bags, and we have food, and, and we get this plan in our mind that we are going to go down the Swanson River, we are going to harvest this moose, and be back in time for supper that evening. And plans are wonderful, but plans never work out the way you intend them to work out, right? And so you have to be flexible. And so we get all this gear together, and we, we go, uh, we're, we're going to do some preliminaries. So the day we're driving to pick up the canoe, we stop by the Swanson River Road, where Tesoro Oil Company owns part of it. And they had the gate shut, and they were not going to open the gate until uh, Monday, and this was the weekend. And so we're in trouble because that was our big plan, to drive all the way down Swanson River Road, which was uh, about seven miles, and, and drop off there at the river. And they had, it get, they had the gate locked, and we were like, oh, no, what do we do? So the plan's over. It's done. We No hunt. And, and we got this idea. You know what? We can carry that canoe and all of our gear seven miles. That's no big deal. We are strong. We are manly. We can do this. And so... We're like, no problem. And so we get up at an ungodly hour at 2 o'clock in the morning, and we drive down. And, and my, my dad and my uncle drop us off at the gate, to Sorrow Gate. And so we, we put our packs on. We load up. We put the canoe on top of our head. And we are packing the canoe down the Swanson River Road. Here we go. Seven miles. No big deal. Like, we could do this and still have time to cook up breakfast and, and lay around for a few minutes before we have to get in the water. And, and it's no big deal because we're going to canoe down the river and it's only about a four-hour canoe down the river to the big, the big bend where the, where the massive uh, dirt wall is that we used to swim. And that's where the moose is, about, about maybe half a mile off the bank of that river, right there at that spot. And, of course, he's not going to move. He's just waiting for us to get there. And so as we're walking down and, and the, the weight of the canoe is pushing down upon us and our shoulders are burning, our legs are burning, our back is hurting, and, and we're singing songs and we're reciting poetry and... and um, and we're doing everything we can to take our mind off of the pain. And we finally make it to the river. And we jump into the river. And we begin to canoe down this river. And the sun's coming up. And it's a beautiful September day in Alaska. Nice and crisp and cold. And, and we, can, we canoe down. And we're paddling faster and faster and faster. And we finally make it to our destination. And we ditch the canoe. And we get all of our gear on. And, and we start marching. And my cousin Matt, he's a guide. And he does a moose call, which I'll spare you. 
the agony of hearing what a moose does. And then does the moose call. And, and way off in the distance, that bull moose answers us. And we're like, oh, man, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so we're so excited. And so we work our way towards the sound of that call. And he calls again. And we can hear that moose. He, he responds, man, his bellowing call, that, that low, deep rumble that comes from inside of his chest, and, and we can, oh, the excitement and the adrenaline is racing, coursing through our veins, and we're like, we're getting closer, and, and then my cousin Matt breaks a branch off of a tree, and he starts to thrash it about in the brush to mimic another bull moose, and, and we're thinking, man, that bull moose is going to charge into this clearing to, to challenge us, who he thinks we're a bull moose that's invading his territory, but he did the exact opposite, he went away from us and we're like oh so he calls again and, and it moves further away so now we're playing this cat and mouse game and so we're calling and we're moving closer and he's getting smart and he's moving further away and, and, and we go further and further and further back into absolute wilderness now there's no road there's no there's no cell phones, no cell phone towers, there's nothing. We don't have a GPS, we have nothing we brought, no satellite phone. We, we, were, we were prepared, but we were absolutely unprepared. We go down haulers, we, we, we scout around a lake, we come to a clearing, we walk across the clearing. We walk across another clearing only to find out it's a marsh. So instead of going right around that, we go left around it. We finally get to this place and... We have pursued this thing, and now it's, it's getting late, very late. We were exhausted, and about maybe an hour or two ago, we, we thought we were closing in on this moose. And so those heavy packs, somebody's ever carried a pack, man, they just bite into your shoulders and into your waist, and it's just painful. And so we saw this massive cottonwood tree, and we thought, hey, we'll leave these heavy, needless weight here. And so we dropped all of our packs at the cottonwood tree so that we would be lighter and faster and stealthier. And we kept pursuing that moose. And now, hours after we had dropped those packs, we come to this clearing and we can see him standing just in those birch trees on the other side. My cousin makes one last call. That massive moose. I mean, he is incredibly huge. Pushes out through those trees and he's got tufts of grass hanging off his horn. It's amazing. He... He is ready to stand his ground to fight. And he steps out of those trees into that clearing. And it's less than 50 yards away. And three rifles come up and kabam, they go off. And we drop that thing right there. And we felt something change and transition. It was like this, something happened. And we became men. Boom. We're high-fiving. You know, it's like high-five, like, dude, <laughs> look what happened. Oh, man, can you believe this? Oh, that we got to get a better one. That, all right, that's better. Oh, man, dude. Hey, all right, church, y'all right here. That was incredible, and, and uh, it was just oh, so invigorating. And, and uh, we're like, okay, we got it. So here's the problem. When you get a moose on the ground, that's when the fun begins, right? Because this thing's bigger than a horse. So we're like, oh, we got to get this. And how far are we in the middle of nowhere? And so we reach down for our knives and we realize, uh-oh. Hmm. And, and my cousin reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a pocket knife and he's like, guys, all of our stuff is in our packs of that cottonwood tree. And he said, all I have is a pocket knife. 
So I'm really good at directions. Just ask my wife. I don't even need my phone, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Listen, I make it to Walmart and back to my house multiple times a week, and I never had a problem getting lost. That's right. That's right. Better than Target. It's cheaper, by the way. And we're not going to get into the other stuff, by the way. I said, I'll go back and get those packs because I pretty much know exactly where they are, kind of. I'm sure I do. I can find it. Hey, I got the packs, and so I take off. And, and I'm doing great. I'm, I'm working my way through the woods, and, and it's kind of an overcast day, so you really can't see the mountains in the distance, which was a problem, but not that big of a problem. And so I'm working my way through, and the sun is setting. And uh, so as I'm working my way, I, I come to this small ravine. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this. And so I go down the ravine, come up the other side, and I'm working my way. And I'm like, oh, I, that's that marsh that we almost walked in the middle of and had to turn and go around the left side. So I need to go around the right side of this marsh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I would go around the right side of the marsh and making my way. And I see this grove of aspens. And I'm like, oh, and I remember that grove of aspens because they're all golden and beautiful. And I thought, oh, that's a beautiful scenery. And so I, I made my way to that grove of aspens. And then I come to that lake. And I'm like, oh, this is the, totally the lake. This is the lake. And, and the other side of the lake is those uh, cottonwood trees that we put our packs at. And I, I'm, I, I can think, oh, there it is. I'm, that's, that's the tree. That's the tree. And so I, I go around the lake and I walk up to the cottonwood tree. And you're not going to believe this. Somebody had taken the packs. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And then I looked at the tree, and I'm like, oh, no, that's not the tree. That's totally not the tree. This is a small tree. The other tree was huge. And I'm like, okay, so it's got to be right here somewhere, right? So I, I, I start going the other direction because I know that's probably the way it is. And, and I walk, and I find another lake. And I'm like, oh, no, this is the lake. And I, I go around that lake, and, and there's not even a cottonwood tree around that lake. And I'm like, oh, no. I, and so the thing to do when you get lost is start moving faster and faster to where you're almost running and sweating profusely. And don't really calculate or think very well. And don't contemplate sitting down and just taking a few moments for yourself. But run so fast you start tripping over things and falling on stuff. And, and then uh, turn around multiple times in a circle. And, and so that way you're really dizzy and disoriented. And, and, and the, I was doing all the things that I knew that I should do and shouldn't. No, I was doing everything I should not do. And finally, I just collapsed on the ground because I am sweating. It's pouring off my face. And the sun is almost completely down. And I am shaking and shivering so much. And, and I got my jacket. And so I finally pulled my jacket on. And I go to zip up my jacket. And I, and I don't even know who put that on there or when I put that on there. But as I'm getting up my jacket, there's this thing on my zipper. And it's a compass. I'm like, no way. Like, I didn't even, I forgot I had this. Oh, that's north. Right there. And I think, wait a second. We came off the Swanson River, and we went directly east. I got this idea. I thought, you know what? If I head directly west from the position that I'm at now, I'm going to run into the Swanson River eventually. I know the Swanson River. I can either walk it upstream or downstream. And probably where I'm at right now, I might be upstream from where we ditched our canoe. And if I find the canoe, I think I can get back to where I need to go. And so I start to orientate myself. And, and as I'm walking directly west, and, and I would pick a spot, I would pick a tree or, or, or a rock outcropping, and I would walk towards that because it was directly west. And then I would pick something a little further and go 
a little further, orientating my way with this small little insignificant device that normally I would have never even contemplated using or even looking at because I didn't need it. But this thing became what saved my life at that very moment. You see, here's what happened. Instead of me getting all the way back to the Swanson River as I'm walking along, I walk right up to this lake. And I look at this lake, and right over on the side of this lake is a grove of cottonwoods that are growing, majestic, massive cottonwoods. And something looks so familiar about those cottonwood trees. I start to think, do you think maybe? And as I get close to those cottonwood trees, guess what? There's three packs lying on the ground. I'm like, oh, I'm saved. I've got food. I've got shelter. I've got water. I've got candy bars. I strap those other two packs. I put my pack on. And as I'm making my way back, because now I'm like, well, I, I kind of maybe know where the guys are. I hear something. Kabam! Someone fires a rifle shot. I'm like, oh, my word. And I'm looking. And I don't know where it came from. So I start walking in the direction I think that I'm that they're at, and, and, and I get a little further, and, and then someone shoots another rifle off, and now I get an orientation of it, I'm like, okay, it came from that direction, and I start walking towards that direction, and then another rifle shot, and another rifle shot, and within about 35 minutes, I walk into the clearing, and there's my cousin, and my best friend, Greg, and I come running in, I'm almost crying, I'm like, you guys are not going to believe this, they said, yes, you were lost. I'm like, how do you know? They're like, it's been hours. We thought that's the last we saw of you. There he went to get the packs done. Story ended. You know what I learned in that one simple moment? I learned this, that small things can save your life. You know, there's small things that could happen this week that could save your life. Let me tell you something. Here's, let's just put this on the table right now because we're going to deal with the dead moose that's in the room. The dead moose that's in the room is the enemy wants to destroy you and your life. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to overwhelm you with, with anxiety, with fear, with stress. He wants to mess you up. He wants to addict you to things that you should never even contemplate using, seeing, or participating in. He wants to get you to a place where he can, he can cause you to be bound up and locked up by chains. He wants you to at a place where you're depressed and you're overwhelmed and you think there's no hope for your life. He wants you to be at a place where you feel, I have no talent, I have no ability, I have nothing to offer. Oh, but let me tell you something. This altar may seem like a small thing. At the end of service, when it's given, this altar call is given. It may seem so insignificant. I've done this a thousand times. What good? Oh, but let me tell you what good. A small thing like you getting out of your pew and walking down to the front and falling on your face before the presence of an almighty God and saying, I surrender my life to you. It may seem insignificant at the moment, but it could save your very life. It could lift you up and turn you around and put your feet on a firm foundation on a path that's going to take you to your future and your destiny. And oh, hold up, by the way. Your destiny. Destiny is not an accident, but it's by divine order of God's perfect will. You don't end up in the place that God has called you by accident. It's small steps that get you to where you need to be. So small things. Small things like submission, like holiness, like righteousness, like truth. Small things of understanding who God is and what God can do in his attributes. Small things. Oh, they're not small when coupled together, but it may seem like a small decision where you say I'm not listening to the lies of the enemy. I will not be bound. I will not be overwhelmed. I'm not going back to what I used to be. It doesn't matter if my grandfather or grandmother was an alcoholic, if my parents were drug addicts or alcoholics. I'm not going back to that same lifestyle. Come on, God has called 
calling me out of it. I can change my future. I can change my family. I can change my destiny. Oh, hear me. You're not bound by that. There's not a generational curse in your life that God can't break and reverse. God can lift you up. He can set you free. It doesn't matter what the enemy has told you. A small thing like accepting God's plan and purpose for your life can change and save you. so small but it can have a great impact it can change you a small thing a pastor in Alaska and I don't I don't know but uh, my heart I'm in love with I'm in love with people that grew up in an area for generations and generations that their heritage is this let me just say something about your heritage don't despise your heritage. Don't despise. Some of you were born in church, raised in church. This is all you ever knew. This is your campground. You've been coming here since your parents. Brother Stacy used to always say this. He had a drug problem when he was a kid. They drug him to camp. They drug him to church. I've heard him say that multiple times. And some of you, man, you fell asleep on these old, old concrete floors. And, and you would wake up and everybody would be shouting and running and they'd put you in the car. And y'all remember those late nights where you, you didn't even know how you wound up in your bed. But you woke up the next morning, three or four years of age, and you had your pajamas on. And, and everything was beautiful. All the, you knew as you went to sleep during service at camp meeting. Anybody been there? Anyone? How many revival services? And, and, and man, you know what? Don't despise your heritage. God has got something incredible in store for you. You came from a great family that have raised you up. That is a small thing in some people's eyes, but not in my eyes because that right there can save your life. That has the ability to keep you rooted and grounded and forever stayed because you've got people that you can go to and talk to that have walked down the same path that you walked, battled the same battles, and yet they're, they're in truth and they live for God and they're not changing or adjusting. Those those are people that are incredible. Small things. Small things. And then there's the opposite side of that. How many are first generation apostolic? How many have parents that are not living for God and they're not in church? Raise your hand. Let me tell you something. It's not a small thing that you're here. Maybe you had to fight some things to get here. Who else? Where's the other one that had their hand up? You had your hand up? Well, let me tell you something. It's not small that you're here. It's powerful. It's incredible. You know why? Because you're the difference maker. You see, the very thing that your parents and maybe your family has been searching for for generations, you found and can find right here at this camp. Because you know what you're exposed to? It's not truth according to my definitions, but it's truth according to the definitions of God's word. And let me tell you what truth has the ability to do. It has the ability to unlock things in your life. It breaks addiction. It, it unlocks ideas and dreams and visions of, of what you could be and can be in the kingdom of God. There was a gentleman here last night that said, I think I know you. And uh, we started talking, and, and I'm like, well, how, how do we know each other? And come to find out he had just gotten in church, and he was about 14 or 15 years old. And these people showed up that knew his grandmother showed up to his house and he said it was after Sunday and dinner and, and we were at the house and he said and I had just gotten in church and, and there he was in the house and my wife and I walked in 
And last night we were putting it all together, but who would have ever thought 15, maybe 20 years ago that my wife and I would have been in the same room and he had just prayed through the Holy Ghost and gotten himself in church. And now we're at a camp and he's on the youth team. And I'm speaking at this camp. Who would have ever thought that or put that together? Let me tell you something. What happens when you came to this camp and God began to talk to you and deal with you and you surrendered your life? You, oh, hear me, hear me. Some of you don't think it's possible because of the things that you came out of or even what your family is involved in. But God has the ability to take you and put your feet on the right path. And every step that you take takes you closer to your destiny. And your destiny is not the things of this world, but it's the things that are in a kingdom that God has laid up treasures in heaven for you, for you. Oh, hear me, young person. You have a call of God on your priest. Don't let the enemy tell you that you'll never be a preacher or you'll never be a minister because you don't have the right pedigree and you don't have the right ability. Oh, let me tell you this. You tell Satan you are a liar from the pit of hell and I know that what he has started within me is a good thing and God can take me to an expected end. I'm not bound by those things of my past, but I know that God has a call on my life. So we've established this, that small things can save your life, right? But here's the flip side of that coin. Here's what's absolutely terrifying. Is small things have the ability to destroy your life. Oh, hear me, some of you. Your playlist, conversations. Your likes on Instagram. Places you go, small Oh, I can control this. I can handle this. So, oh, listen, 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 Brother Galligan. You, you don't understand. I, I, I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm prayed up enough. I, I danced and shouted all week at camp, and and I can handle some things when I get back on Monday. I can go back to the same friends and friend group, and and I can I can get my phone back. Oh man, I haven't had my phone for a whole week, and and I can get my phone back, and 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 I can I can start talking to all my friends again because you know I'm different now. I went to camp and I prayed through. Oh, but it's that one conversation or. Or, or that one place that you visited or, or that one decision that you made that does have the potential and the ability to destroy your faith and hope and dreams. Let me tell you, don't let the enemy convince you that what you received at camp was just emotionalism. That what you received at camp was just an idea that's so far from your future and your reality that he begins to destroy you systematically with bad decision after bad decision and takes you further away from the presence of God. Oh, don't be that statistic because every one of you, some of you, you hyphen age that are here, you could say, oh yeah, I remember I sat on those same pews where you're sitting at, and there were hundreds and hundreds of other young people, but I watched as one after one walked out of the presence of God and never returned. Year after year, friends would fall by the wayside. Oh, there needs to be somebody in this group right here and right now that's not going to let the enemy step in and destroy your life with small, bad decisions. You need to rise up and say, I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not walking away. I'm not going to let the enemy destroy me from this year to the next. But I'm going to stay steadfast in the presence of God. You see, it's small things. Small things. I, I wish there was a button that we could push that would reverse every bad mistake we've made. But as we walk into scripture, we see something very fascinating. And the story begins to unfold. You see, this story is not one that we preach about all the time, but it's one that needs to be preached. And this is a story that has convicted me over and over again. And it's simply a story of a man that had ambition. 
nothing wrong with ambition. As a matter of fact, I hope you have a nice car. And I hope you have a wonderful wife. And I hope you have a, a beautiful home. Ambition is not bad necessarily. But ambition sometimes can destroy the process in which God works. Because once you surrender your life to God, your only ambitions should be to please Him. Not to attain what others have. But let me just pause right here for a moment. I, I just feel like I need to pause. You, you're, you're never going to have Brother Sullivan's ministry. You'll never preach like Brother Sullivan. You're never going to have Brother Hart's ministry. You, you, you'll never be able to minister and preach like Brother Hart. Young ladies, you, you're not going to have Sister Martin's ministry. You'll never be able to navigate those waters the way she does. You're not going to have Sister Hart's ministry or anyone else's ministry that steps up behind this pulpit or sings or plays or preaches or ministers because God doesn't want you to have their ministry. God wants you to have your ministry. You can have mentors and people that shape you and mold you, but, but you can't emulate what they do because that's not the way God created you. You see, God created you as an individual, and he created you unique. And God wants to use you and your talents and your abilities. Oh, oh some of you right now thought, I have no talents, and, and I don't sing, and I don't play, and I don't talk to people. And there's no way that, oh, let me tell you something. God has the ability to unlock those things that you think you don't possess because what God does is he reaches into your very heart and begins to open up things that, that you don't have so the glory doesn't come to you and your flesh but comes to him and the kingdom let me tell you what God's wanting to do he's wanting preachers and missionaries and evangelists that's what God's wanting out of you and your generation there needs to be somebody this week that defies the logic and the reality of what you've been born into and what the enemy's trying to tell you and says I am called and I can minister and I can go around the world some of you have never been out of Oklahoma but guess what guess what God's going to call you to go to Indonesia. He's going to call you to go to Africa. Some of you, some of you said you know what, I never even contemplated being a pastor. I don't think that I could do that. Oh, but God is saying inside of you dwells the heart of a shepherd and I'm going to unlock it. And it takes just one moment at an altar of sacrifice where you get to that place and you get over your inability and you get over your lack of talent and you say I'm willing to give God everything in exchange for anything that he would desire to bless me with. So Abimelech, this young man, had ambition. And Abimelech was watching his aging father. He was a child that was born under unsavable circumstance. His daddy, you may know him, is called Gideon. And Gideon was a powerful warrior. And Gideon, all his life, I wish I could say, was an exemplary life for all of us to live. But Gideon did so good in his youth and so poorly. In his latter part, Gideon failed to do in his latter years what God had called him to live, not only through his youth, but its entirety. Gideon messed up, and he messed up in areas that some of us have messed up in. Gideon, he failed to believe and trust in God. And he did things that were not godly and righteous and holy. His son, Abimelech, was one of those ones that was born. Uh, mother was just one of those girls that Gideon had collected. And 
And so he knew that when his daddy died, even though he had heard the words of the people, Gideon, become king, become king. And at least Gideon did that right and pushed the people off and said, no, I'm not going to be king. God is our king. Abimelech said, I want to be king. But, but you know, if the people ask, it's not going to be me that they ask. It's going to be one of my 71 brothers that they ask. And he said, I've got to change that because I, I have ambition and I want to do and I want to be in control. And, and I want to look at people around me and say, look what I've achieved and look what I've done. But you see, there's a difference between achieving something in the kingdom of God that brings glory to God and achieving something in the fleshly kingdom that brings glory to you and your flesh. And Abimelech said, I want what I can get and I want to be noted because of what I've accomplished. And he said, and so when the people asked, he said, I'm going to eliminate the competition. And Abimelech decided in his mind that he was going to slaughter all of his brethren, but he needed help to do that. And so he began to alliance himself with these young men and young women of his father's household. And so he went down to Shechem. To where he was descendant of. And he said, I need your help. Because when I become king, you will be my faithful followers. And so he gathered his brother. All 70 of them and brought them in. And as they gathered on one rock there in Arpha. He pulled his sword and the men of Shechem fell upon his brother. And Abimelech killed his own flesh and blood so that he could set himself up as king. You, you need to be careful who you align yourself with. Because there are people that are so ambitious that they will slaughter you to get what they want out of life. That's just the way the enemy works. Let me just say this. What's sown in the flesh, you reap of the flesh. Good doesn't come out of evil, by the way. Evil comes out of evil. Oh, you hear me. You, 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 oh, I, I need to tell somebody this. Because some of you are contemplating. Oh, I, this wrecks my mind when I think about it Because I'm dealing with a situation right now where this young lady is talking about, oh, Gomer, Gomer, Gomer. Don't you remember the marriage of Gomer? Because she's trying to justify her life and going out and marrying someone out of her faith and marrying someone that doesn't even know truth. And she's trying to say, I'm just, I'm just being biblical. Oh, let me tell you, when you begin to align yourself with people that are ungodly and unrighteous, and, and when you begin to justify things that are not godly and say, this is how God works no God does not work in evil and when when Abimelech killed his brother God was not in the process of establishing him king oh he was successful and he became king and at the moment that his brothers died guess what there was a voice that rose up out of the wilderness because he had forgotten the youngest of his family because while he was gathering something began to minister to this young man by the name of Jotham and Jotham, the youngest of his father's house, went up into the wilderness to hide. Let me tell you, if it doesn't feel right, I don't care what your age is. If it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Some of you, you get back to the dorm after you having prayed and danced and shouted. And somebody starts talking about something, and it just kind of doesn't set real well with your spirit. Maybe it happened last night. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right. 
Come on, you need to get out of that place because you know what's going to happen? The, the enemy is going to step in and destroy your Holy Ghost. He's going to destroy your shout. He's going to destroy your worship. How does he do that? By putting guilt and self-condemnation upon you because of activities that you participated when you got out of service. You know what? I am concerned about what you do in the middle of service, but I'm more concerned about what you do outside of the sanctuary because that's where the enemy will be the most successful in destroying your faith. I'm preaching a long time. I apologize. This just keeps going, doesn't it? But I need to tell someone, you, you need to be careful who you're aligning yourself with when they, you call friends. Uh, you, you need to be careful what partnership that you're going into this week at camp. You need to be careful about those people that you say, well, I've known them so many years and we're just, we're just good friends. But let me tell you, if they're bent on evil, you cannot afford to go to hell because of your friendship with them. There needs to be someone that you just say, I love you, but I can't be with you. I can't hang out with you. I can't involve myself in this type of activity. I'll meet you in that altar. I'll pray with you. I'll play ball with you. But I'm not going to have a conversation about this kind of thing. Because I'm not going to let something destroy my life. And Jotham got away at the right moment. But here's what it was. God didn't just want to spare Jotham's life. God wanted to use Jotham. And he stepped out of the wilderness. And he began to prophesy over all of Israel. Here's this young man. He says, uh, he used nature as an analogy. Kind of like what I did this morning. He said, the forest was calling for a king. Who will rise up and be our king? Oh, olive tree. This is prophecy. I'm paraphrasing. Oh, olive tree, would you become the king of the forest? Be our king and rule over us. And the olive tree answered back. This is Jotham's prophecy to a mad young man that killed his own brother. And the olive tree said, no, I, I can't become your, your king because I have my olives to attend to. So they look to another. Because that's just the way it works, isn't it? You lift up one God over your life. And if it doesn't work out, you'll lift up another God. And another so-called God. And all you're doing is lifting up things that cannot possibly be what you need them to be. Because there's only one God and one Lord. So if you lift up your automobile or your education higher than God, Jesus then you know what you're doing? You're just putting things up that can't possibly give you anything back in return. You can find false religion. You can find philosophical ideas. But you better be careful what philosophy you're living your life towards and for. He turned and he said, oh, fig tree. This young man's prophesying over all of Israel. Oh, fig tree, become our king and rule over us. The fig tree says, I cannot because I have my figs to attend to. They move on, oh vineyard, oh vine, please become our king. The vine said, no, I have my graves to attend to. So they've been rejected by everyone that they thought was qualified to be king. And now they look towards the bramble. Oh bramble, would you become our king? The lowest of the forest, the brush that grows under the towering pines and the cedars of Lebanon. And the bramble said, oh yes, I will be your king. But here's the conditions. The moment that you refuse my authority and my rule. The moment that you side against me. The moment that you decide that you do not like me as king. He said there's a fire that's going to become building 
and it's going to come out of the brambles and it will consume the cedars of Lebanon. Oh, let me tell you, this prophecy was so shocking because it was just a few years later that that prophecy came true in Israel's life. You see that Abimelech who became king over them became a mad ruler. He forced them into slavery. He forced taxation upon them. Everything was about me, me, and he didn't care who his subjects were. And he beat them and bruised them and manipulated them. The very men, the men of Thebes that was his own family that, that they, he used to slaughter his brother and decided we, we, we don't want to rule. We don't want a ruler that's insane. We don't want to set any of this crazy king any longer. And so they decided we're, we're going to fight against And So they begin to gather an army together. And Abimelech heard that his own family members were now going to try to overthrow him as king. And you want to know what Abimelech did? He gathered his army and marched down to Thebes and slaughtered every man, woman, and child. Destroyed their lives and burnt their city to the ground. He gets word. <laughs> Not only were Shechem, but the men of Thebes decided that, man, look, he just destroyed Shechem. Everyone's gone. They begin to build a tower to guard themselves. They built this tower, and sure enough, Abimelech heard about the tower, and he gathered his army. He marches towards the tower to do what he had done to Thebes. Fire, swords, shields, bows, and arrows. They gathered around that tower and began to bombard it. Abimelech reached down and grabbed a fiery torch and he was riding towards the door of that tower to burn the entire city alive that were gathered in that tower. As he's riding towards that door, there was a little mom at the very top. She took a five pound or so millstone. And she lifts that up on her shoulders. And maybe it was one of her boys that was involved in defending. Maybe it was her sons. Maybe she was that baby that she was thinking about that was on her lap. I don't know the story. But she decided that I'm going to fight with the fighters. And I'm not going to let this crazy man destroy my family and erase my lineage. And she walks over to the edge of that tower and she pushes that millstone off the edge. The Bible tells us that that millstone fell and strikes Abimelech in the head and knocks him from his horse. He's a man that knows wounds. He's fought in so many battles. He's bested the very best of warriors. And he understands something's not right. I, I can't move. I can't think. He turns to his armor bearer and he says, you, you, you've got to take your sword and rust it, thrust it through me. He said, it cannot be said. He knows the songs that are sung about warriors. And this song would end up like this. Oh, what a great man that Abimelech was. He bested men in battle and, and fought against the greatest. But a small woman, almost a child, was the demise of Abimelech. Thrust me through. Don't let it be said of me, a woman slew him. Don't let it be said to me that something that is inferior, something that has never rode into battle, a woman who's never got on top of a horse and, 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 and guided men, warriors, to fight against the opposition, 
A woman that has never pulled their sword and fought in hand-to-hand combat and bested the best of the nation. Don't let it be said of me that something that should have never destroyed me brought me to my knees and wrecked my kingdom. Oh, but how many young people have sat in the same pews that you've sat in that have allowed inferior things destroy their ministry and their life. Oh, hear me. The Oklahoma district needs to have warriors that rise up that are not ambitious to receive what the world can give them but they're ambitious to say, I give my life to the kingdom of God and I will not let something inferior destroy who I am. Oh, there needs to be somebody right here today that says I'm getting rid of those friends that would pull me away from God. I'm getting rid of those ideas that would cause me to doubt who I am as an apostolic. I'm getting rid of those Instagram and the Facebook accounts. I'm cleaning my playlist out because I cannot allow one small inferior thing destroy my relationship with God. from this day forward this entire week I've only got 300 of them I hope that's enough I want you to get one of these I want you to look at this not just the next five days this is not an idol this can do nothing for you this is simply a reminder that you've got to say I can let small things destroy my life or I can let something small save my life. That's why you get up every morning and it may be seem like it's so insignificant but you find a place to pray. You find a place and to read your Bible. You find a place to connect with God. Some of you are walking into schools that it's hard for you to navigate because of the opposition against your belief and your faith. There's people that would mock you and laugh at you but there needs to be some young man that says I remember what happened at camp in 2023 it was a small thing but oh it changed the direction of my life it put me on a right path I was lost and wondering I was dying in my sin but God reversed it for the Sullivan preached to put my eyes towards the kingdom I've got to put my eyes towards what God has called me to become I'm praying against insecurity I'm praying against it. I'm praying against anxiety and fear. I'm praying against this idea that you're worthless and a nobody. I'm praying against that in Jesus' name. Because the enemy doesn't decide who you are. The enemy doesn't decide your identity. The enemy doesn't decide the outcome of your life. You decide it. And you've got to get to a place where you make decisions for yourself. You can't let social media make those decisions for your life. You can't let musicians and artists and and actors make those decisions for your life. You've got to make the decision. I'm either going to live for God. I'm either going to do something great for the kingdom. Or I'm going to allow something that's inferior and insignificant. Something that should never be destroy my walk with God. Somebody right now close your eyes in this place. You know who I'm preaching to. I don't even have to walk over and put my hand on your shoulder because it's all over your face. Somebody here, you Even this past week, even last night, you let something that was inferior into your heart. Maybe even the very thing that you asked forgiveness of and you begged God to release you from. You opened yourself back up and said, come on back. Come on back. Oh, but I'm here to tell you, hope is not lost. Come on, hope is not lost. 
There needs to be somebody that rises up out of your shame and out of your discomfort. There needs to be somebody right now that begins to say, God, I'm not going to allow something inferior to destroy this week, to destroy. Oh, there needs to be someone. You don't just walk down to this altar. You run down to this altar because there's someone here that says, I'm still fighting. Come on, Satan, you've come against me, but I'm still believing. God's able. There needs to be a young man and a young woman that God has been trying to deal with you about a ministry, a calling. Maybe you're supposed to be a missionary, but you've tried to use every excuse on why you can't and why you don't have the ability and the enemy's been so affected in trying to destroy you and mess with your mind. But you need to say, no, no, no. Devil, you are a liar. I'm not giving up. I'm not walking back. Oh, hear me. There needs to be someone that falls on their face and begins to ask God, create in me a clean heart. Touch me, oh God. God, I want to rise up. I want to be a giant killer. I'm not willing to give up. I'm not willing to walk away. I don't want to be a statistic of youth camp that is here this year and worships with the best of them. But I can't be found next year. But I'm making a commitment that I'm going to be here this year and next year and every year of my life. My kids will be raised in church. I'm reversing my family history. In the name of Jesus. In the name, somebody put your hand on your head and begin to pray for your thoughts. Begin to plead the blood upon your mind. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it, that's it, that's it. Come on, that's it, that's it. You need to pray for your family. Pray for your broken home. Pray for your mama. Pray for your daddy, even though you may not even know who they are. Come on, I want you to pray. God, I don't want to be the statistic. God, I don't want to fall down. I don't want to let the enemy remind me of the mess I came from. Some of you are so embarrassed you won't even talk about it. Oh, but let me tell you something. That's your testimony of what God is bringing you out of. It ends with you. The addiction ends with you. The failures end with you. There's somebody you're wrestling with filling shoes that you don't feel that you're qualified to fill because your grandfather was a preacher and your daddy's a preacher. But you've been wrestling saying, God, I can't do it. I don't want to just follow in their footsteps because everybody expects me to. But there needs to be someone that gets a hold of the call of God on your life and you step into your destiny.